Everybody was talking about Blake Lively's dress at the Met Gala and how it like transformed or like changed or whatever. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And so they were like, oh, watch a video of like the transformation of Blake Lively's dress. And I did. And I thought that it was going to be some like cool, like, wh- do you remember when like Zendaya did her like Cinderella dress last year or something? Or like one of those like Broadway style, she does a twirl and then all of a sudden it's a completely different outfit. I thought it was going to be something cool like that. But literally they just like unpinned parts of her dress and then they like pulled off her gloves to reveal different gloves underneath. And I was like, well, that was lame. Wait, it so it was wasn't so like a so disappointing. more like automated transformation? No, she had to have like three people help her with the transformation. Oh, I mean, the concept was really cool. And I only saw like a before and after. So mm-hmm. I was into it, but I thought it was going like, to be like a quick change. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, it was like, like it was quick. Because like, I don't know if you remember the details of the that dress, but like involved. in the before... Yeah, the before was gold, but like also by her hips, she had this little sort of like not a real like, like peplum all those thing. Bows and bubbles and but shit. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they basically just undid those, and that was the blue uh, dress. I get that it's a good dress, and it still looks great on her. But I was just expecting something more like wow. I want to break the cycle that's so ingrained in me, but change comes way too slow, and I am in a hurry. There's all of this rejection, which brings such misery. But with my white girl music, I drown out the flurry of today. Welcome to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. Um, we're actually almost done with new musicals, I guess. At least the ones that matter. Well, I guess we have a couple <laughs> more. I don't know if we'll get to it. But um, yeah, we are well underway interviewing new musicals for the year and today we're going to talk about a strange loop which said it was 90 minutes but it was really two hours it, so it advertised as 100 oh, but shit. yeah it was fairly it was, long um it was long which like we will get into long, but it's long for a one-act show like i was sitting there and i was like yeah. is this really a one-act show like why am i still here um which they do say in the show <laughs> that's, that's like they true. literally say the audience wants to know when they can go home um they're like they will not wait here forever and i was like you are correct but it did also i think just feel longer because it felt like it was ending maybe three or four different times and then it kept going i mean to be fair like i don't know if it was ever ending like the whole time like at least like in the second half i was just like like half an hour into the show maybe 45 minutes into a show you know like there's no resolution you know like Mm -hmm. there's not really a plot it's a lot of social commentary like there's no way it's just gonna end well but it's probably not gonna end too poorly like you just get the vibe that nothing's really gonna change like it's just one of those shows so like once i realized that i just kind of like give up hope on predicting where it's gonna end i'm just like okay it's one of those shows so would you like to explain what the show is about in your best to your best capabilities yeah so it's about this guy named usher who's an usher for lion king on broadway but he's also like a musical theater writer and he's black and he's gay and he's overweight and all of those things together like working entertainment and like being a minority being queer being overweight just like really fucks with his self-image and his ability to succeed and his ability to like connect to the musical theater community as well as like the black community and his parents back home and everything and it's kind of him like trying to figure out his life and what the fuck he's doing and if he'll you know make it to his passions and find love and just like all sorts of shit that you know a young writer in new york probably thinks about um but it just like laces in a lot of general social commentary about being this black gay guy in musical theater and like you know like generally musical theater is 
um, is like seen as kind of like white people entertainment. I think that explains it decently. <laughs> it's just like him yeah. navigating um, through that and having an identity. Right. Sort of. And so I didn't know that like Michael R. Jackson is the one who did book music and lyrics for this show. Um, and he won a Pulitzer for it for 2020. But I didn't know he had said that this was based off of um, both company and another play or like not based off, but it was inspired by both company and another play called Passing Strange, How? which is also like a um, like Passing Strange is also like a black exploration of self sort of play. But I actually thought like once I started listening to this after the show, I was like, you know, this does feel like company, except instead of about love and like relationships, it's just about like life and being black and gay and trying to write musical theater. Because it is also just sort of like a collection of individual scenes that lets him in a way sort of like independently examine parts of his life like i mean this is a tiny comparison but just like in the opening number similar to the company's opening number where they're just like bobby bobby they also just start with like usher usher that's usher, true and all that so i don't know if that was supposed to be a direct callback to company but it is also there that kind of makes sense i see that i was kind of like i I definitely was like, I feel like I've seen this somewhere. And also it's a little annoying, <laughs> which is true for both songs. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when I watched this show, I didn't even like the music. I was like, it, like, the, like there's so much going on in this show anyway. And it's like saying so much and mm-hmm. the music just like didn't stand out. And I don't know if it worked. I don't know if all the songs worked on stage really well. But when you were like, oh, listen to the soundtrack, I was like, I don't even like the fucking music. Um, but it's so much better on the soundtrack. Right? Like, <laughs> it almost makes you feel like it shouldn't have been a show. Like, that was what my five words were going to be. I was like, maybe it's not a show. I don't know. Like, the way it was staged for me is really weird. I'm just going to give, like, one example because I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But, like, mm-hmm. for example, like, there are a lot of white people in the show like characters but there are no white actors because like the white people the white characters in the show like sometimes maybe aren't real or sometimes like use the n-word a lot and i think there's like probably a variety of reasons why they didn't choose to cast any white actors because it just would have been a scandal i think and and amongst Mm -hmm. other things and so because of that it made a lot of scenes really confusing and like this that i guess like the fact that black people were playing white people wasn't the only thing that was confusing but you know like there's also like fever dreams and situations where like i don't know if these are his real parents or those are his real parents or what the fuck is going on but like all of that is very hard to understand in the way that they chose to like cast and like produce it on stage Mm -hmm. but um, I feel like it's actually quite clear in the soundtrack, like, or in, in the cast recording, like I listen to it and they use like different voices for different characters and I can't see them. And it actually makes so much more sense to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that. Yeah, I think, well, so I think my main thing was a lot of people for this Broadway production have complained about the sound design for the show and just like not mm-hmm. being able to hear lyrics clearly or to be able to like hear when people were singing atop each other, which I it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, but it was also not great. And I'm actually wondering if that sort of impaired the music from being able to be heard clearly because it's like I didn't have... I mean, the visualization part wasn't as big of a factor in my mind, but still, like, listening to the cast album, the melodies were just way more clear, and, like, the the way the instrumentation came together, I don't know if they reorchestrated between Off-Broadway and Broadway, but I just thought it cleaner. Yeah. And so, I don't know if that was, like, a sound design issue. I don't know if they, like, that's, like, a, a musical issue that they had, but it it did really just, like, come through almost completely differently and like in the actual show watching it the song seemed a little like like it was 
it's like those songs where they're just sort of like chugging along like nothing real no real like ups and downs as much no super discernible melodies and it was like completely different on the cast recording so i don't know if just like the theater muddled it or like what that was well i also feel like i had an easier time focusing on the message because like seeing it on stage like seeing it performed um there was i feel like there was like a focus on the shock factor maybe like second wave which is like I feel like one of the big numbers he sings when he says like we're the second wave feminist inside of me or whatever is at war with the dick sucking black gay guy something. I don't know the exact lyrics, but like I feel like he just like really spit out every single word on stage and he was really trying to like drill into me like I could like see spit flying out of his mouth every time he said like dick sucking and that's cool but there's like a lot more to the song than kind of like one Mm. mildly shocking phrase Mm -hmm. Um, and so like listening to it without that like actor choice maybe Uh helped me understand it a lot better like I got so many more messages from listening to the cast recording than actually watching the show because when i saw the show with you i was like what the fuck was that (laughs) yeah i definitely feel that um i i feel like this is one of those shows where if you go in mostly blind like we did like i i sort of knew what to expect but i really didn't know that much um I, I think that is like a way to watch a sh- watch the show, but it's like you do kind of have to do more work on the back end if you really want to understand the show, um, like in terms of just like reading through the lyrics or like listening to the songs again and stuff like that. Or I feel like you have to either just like know the show really well already, like if you have listened to the songs a lot before and then go into the show. My five words were actually going to be... Um, like a first time Sondheim and like not to sort of belabor the comparison between this and like a white man but um the issue I had with Sondheim shows before is I almost never liked the score of a Sondheim show the first time through and a lot of that I think is because Sondheim's lyrics and stuff are so dense and they're so like like you feel like you're playing catch up a lot when watching Sondheim shows and I kind of felt that for this too. And like a lot of Sondheim shows, listening through them afterwards, I was like, oh yeah, that song was really good, but I just like didn't get a chance to notice it in the theater or while watching the show and stuff. And I feel like this show had a lot of that same feeling of like, okay, now we can take a step back. And like, I sort of know what to visualize as I'm listening to these songs and I can sort of put together the pieces afterwards of how the songs fit together with what was shown on stage and like you know and i feel like you know this might take like a second watch to fully get the whole experience now that i sort of know what what the show is saying and stuff like that which like i don't know if that's necessarily the marker of like a successful commercial show like it's more Mm -hmm. in that sort of like this is like the art that is really um like to the integrity of the artist and what the artist wants to say but i don't know if that necessarily would play as well like in a commercial sense for like either people who just are casually trying to go to theater and see something new or like tourists or something like that like i feel like it would be difficult yeah i don't think i would watch this again i do think i'm gonna enjoy the cast recording for quite a bit but like i don't really like usher that much like (laughs) and i mean that makes sense like i feel like there are a lot of sondheim shows i can think off the top of my head where i don't really like any of the main characters either so maybe that's something but like I was just kind of annoyed at him the whole time. And I don't know if I would enjoy watching it again. I don't have AIDS. And I don't care about marriage. And I will never be pushing a loud ass baby around in a carriage. 
No, I'll just walk around with a scowl on my face like I'm Betty Friedan. Because the second wave feminist in me is at war with the dick sucking black gay man who's not looking for now. You know how um when we left the theater, I was like, I'm struggling with the comparison to a white girl because there's like four songs about this. He's just like, I have this inner white girl. I feel like a white girl. I want to be a white girl. White girls can do anything. And I was like, I don't really understand that. And you were saying how like, oh, well, it's just like kind of like white girl privilege and how like you can be a Karen, but if you're a black guy, like people think you're dangerous or something. And like, I think I, I struggled with that because I don't really understand why he wouldn't just say like, white man because obviously like that's the epitome of privilege and I think like the whole like well the only two things I can think of that he would choose to compare himself to a white girl as opposed to a white guy which is kind of the standard for comparing yourself to someone who has privilege is like I think he wants to be a musical theater writer which no one in his community understands and musical theater is like very white girl Mm. and the other thing I can think of is like he has like a white guy fetish and in this society like the only type of person that can date a white man without any flack is a white girl because like like we get shit for dating white guys um black Mm -hmm. girls get shit for dating white guys and white guys get shit for dating white guys on these levels and maybe more just seems to really relate to a white girl as opposed to a white guy and it's like slowly starting to make sense to me but it's like definitely a topic to marinate on Mm -hmm. i think um yeah i actually didn't think of it like that but that does actually make a lot of sense in that way too um and in the show well michael r jackson mentions this as being like sort of a personal thing too but he puts it in the show about how His three sort of inspirations were Liz Fair, Tori Amos, and um, Joni Mitchell. And it's, I think, specifically the white girl part is it's still like, you know, when like white girl singers, even like Alanis Morissette, if you take that as an example, it's a lot of like raging against society because they're still like not completely equal and stuff Mm -hmm. but it's like in this way where there's sort of like protected from society at the same time because people jump to their defense but there still is like this inequality Mm -hmm. that exists whereas for like a white guy it's like well that's not relatable at all to him because they have everything it's not like like maybe it's who he Mm -hmm. would like to be but it's not someone who he can relate to i can understand that that makes sense to me and that's also, I think, where the whole, like, second wave feminism yeah, like, comes yeah, exactly. into. That, like, feminism prioritizes white women. I can totally see that. Um, so, yeah, like, that was a huge part of the show for me. It's slowly starting to make more sense. I'm really enjoying <laughs> that. Some days he feels like his blackness is a treasure That's under constant attack I guess we'll talk about like him in the entertainment industry. Um, Okay. I think it's helpful to note how the show opens with a song called Intermission Song. And because he is actually working as an usher in The Lion King and like he plays that little like intermission bell thing um, on his little mini glockenspiel that what he's holding. What is that? Like, <laughs> I have never seen that. Like how I think he had it he? at the opera or something. <laughs> But yeah, so he turns that into sort of a like, sort of how the, um, in the like original company recording that sort of like, um, busy line, like the bump, bump, bump becomes like the refrain to the opening song. 
this sort of becomes the refrain to this opening song because he's he's a little i guess like stuck i'd say um because like at the same time people are trying to get his attention like audience members are trying to get to his attention to be like oh like how long do we have till the end of intermission but he also has all these other thoughts about like him writing his show and so i think it's supposed to be this sort of like double or even triple layer of like He's at the intermission of The Lion King where he's an usher. People are trying to get his attention to just like ask him questions and he like calls them like asshole tourists and stuff. And then there's also him trying to write his show and being like, well, what comes next in this show? Like, how should I do it? How should I write this? And like, what's what needs to be written? And I think at the same time, it's also sort of a larger allegory for his life because he's Mm -hmm. sort of like, no longer living with his parents he like made this big move to new york but he hasn't really had any big successes yet all his parents are like well what's next for you like have you sold your show yet like do you have money and he also doesn't know how to sort of proceed with the next act let's say of his yeah, the like show of his act life one is you know like probably him making the decision to study playwright and like do all of that and now he's like i'm just a fucking usher But this is also, like, why he's not likable. Like, first of all, I did not know that people ask ushers when intermission is over. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, it's (laughs) over when it's over. But also, like, if I ask an usher a question, I don't expect them to be, like, rude as fuck to me. Like, Like, song number one, I'm just like, he's not a nice person. Michael R. Jackson also did one of those, like, track by track breakdown sort of things of this album and for the first song he says intermission song is about a protagonist named usher trying to figure out how to write his self-referential musical a strange loop while ringing the intermission bells at his job at as a broadway usher the song is broken into two halves the intro and the song proper the intro was inspired from a moment back in my ushering days at the new amsterdam theater for lion king on broadway one night i had the occasion to be stationed on the mezzanine level as the guests began to enter the theater there was an older white woman who had gone down to row aa and needed something probably a booster seat and started waving her hand and calling up to the ushers like she was hailing a taxi usher usher i clocked it and knew immediately i had to base a song in the show around that musical phrase the rest of the song came from having to walk around the orchestra level many times during intermission ringing the intermission bells to get people back to their seats for the second act can i really write this how many minutes till the end of intermission is that how the show should open should there even be a show no it should start with what he's thinking which is just a cursor blinking because of all of the directions that the narrative could go to show usher and honestly all of his family members names in the show are like lion king characters which is like a whole nother topic but basically he has this play and it may not like be an autobiography but it's definitely based on his own struggles as far as i can tell Mm -hmm. and so he is at a standstill because he's essentially writing about himself and he doesn't know where his own life is going because like he's he's been refining this play over and over that he doesn't think is ever going to be good enough because of his self-loathing and all of that shit which is mm-hmm. also another topic but he's basically stuck and he also complains about he's barely scraping by but i'm like you work 4 hours a day so i'm amazed that you're scraping by at all um but like he's he's sad and that's just kind of like the character that he is and he has really really traditional like minority parents i think who Mm -hmm. don't at all understand his work in the entertainment industry or like his dreams or the fact that he's gay um so i guess that kind of leads us into this whole like minority working in the entertainment industry thing and like kind of specifically like the theater industry i think is very Mm -hmm. difficult and like him right 
And even his agent, well, so it's sort of established early on that he does not like Tyler Perry because whenever his mom calls him, his mom is like, oh, you're trying to write a musical? You know who writes great musicals? Tyler Perry. Like, are you going to be writing a musical like Tyler Perry? And he's like, fuck no. And so that's like sort of a defining character trait from like early on in the show. But Mm -hmm. even his agent who is sort of pointedly named Agent Fairweather, um, is like, oh, hey, like, I know we haven't talked in a long time, but I got this really cool job opportunity. I think you'd be great for it. And it's going to be ghostwriting for Tyler Perry. And he's like, why the fuck would I do that? And it's just sort of how... (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, just like interjecting one thing. This is like kind of a good example of what I mean by like a whole cast of Black people is confusing because the whole cast is Black, but they're all playing a bunch of different characters that are in Usher's head. And they're sometimes very clearly black. Like sometimes the character they're playing is very clearly black. Sometimes the character they're playing is very clearly white. But this is kind of a case where like, I would like to leave it up to my own imagination a little bit because like in the show, this agent is black because all the actors are black and they don't make any specific comments about their race. So I just assume Mm -hmm. they're black, you know, but then when I'm listening to the soundtrack, I can kind of like imagine this agent, like from scratch based on the things that he's saying. And it's like, he could be black. Maybe he's not, but like, whatever it is, it just like helps me understand the Mm -hmm. situation more. Yeah, like this casting where everyone is played by his inner thought, who's all black, is mm-hmm. really confusing for me. Yeah, and just to sort of like um, clarify that, each of the characters that's not Usher are a thought, and they're labeled thoughts one through six, and it's just Usher and six thoughts, and that's the cast. Like, it's not like thought one slash Usher's dad slash or anything. They're all just like thoughts taking on yeah. the personas of there other characters. There are literally multiple characters multiple actors playing his mom and dad in different yeah. scenes and like yeah. so they it's kind of it's also, also take on oh just when thought one is <laughs> yeah. his dad like his dad's like a drunk but then when thought four is his dad his dad's like a nice guy um mm-hmm. or like when thought six is his dad his dad's super homophobic like there's just like it's different and i'm like are any of these your real dad are none of them your real dad are all right. of them your real dad <laughs> yeah i would be kind of interested in sort of like cataloging the types of roles each character plays and like if they have like specific archetypes or personality traits or like something like that amongst each one of them so tyler perry i i told you how i know black people like acquaintances in real life that get very excited over a day movie Mm -hmm. um and i was trying to think more on that and i we know a lot of Asian people that are ridiculously excited about stuff like Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And like deep down, I know that's not a good story. And <laughs> I don't know if these other people know too. Like we have friends or just acquaintances, whomever, who love Crazy Rich Asians. And I can't tell if they just like it seems to me like they just truly love it. And I don't know if like they're self-aware on like they like it because it's Asian representation or if they're just kind of like, I love it. It's fun and it's Asian and I'm not going to think more about that. Like, like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's good, but I know people that seem to genuinely <laughs> love it. And like, I think it also kind of comes down to this idea of like when you're producing something with like an all minority cast or or something to that degree like Mm -hmm. i feel like hollywood tends to make funny easy to watch things because then white people also want to see it like white people are also down to watch medea they might not be down to watch a harriet tubman biopic right i think that's the exact point that he is sort of um making in this show about tyler perry because all his like his entire family basically and everybody that ever talks to him about his musical is like oh yeah you know like if you just did the tyler perry thing you can make a ton of money and i think he sees that as sort of selling out as just like meeting the like lowest common denominator of like how can we be just black enough where 
it's like still a black story but mm-hmm. still palatable to like white people and um actually there's actually a, a few lines in um to hop back to intermission song which i thought were like they go by so quickly which is kind of a shame one of them is um, if you can't please the Caucasians, you will never get the dough because the critics clinically deny us, then deny implicit bias with their vanity supported by a system that's distorted. Watch them write off, write you off as lazy, not to mention navel gazy, lacking both in craft and, vi- craft and vigor because you're just a fucking. And then he rhymes that with the N word, which is also great for him. Um, that's like a great set of lyrics. I did not hear that during the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also from intermission song and he's like no one cares about a writer who is struggling to write they'll say it's way too repetitious and it's overly ambitious which of course makes them suspicious that you think you're fucking white and i just like like the like light roast of white people being apparently too ambitious in their (laughs) like art and stuff you know but but it also calls back to the that whole idea that like oh well like if you want you're like black show to be successful amongst white people it has to be like a watered down version or it has to be like very simple and just for laughs or it has to be about slaves so tyler perry comes up a number of times but in the little like notes for um the song called tyler perry writes real life he says the song is the expression of an ongoing argument i have with myself about what it means to write for black audiences but not respect their intelligence or complexity when doing so and i guess like there's also a subset of black people in like the artistic and entertainment industry that i mean like i guess like maybe like they write about slavery and police violence and stuff and and some of it is very artistic and frankly that's like 90% of black stuff that's on broadway to be honest Mm. like and so he's kind of battling both of that like he's not trying to be like tyler perry he's also not trying to be like what in his mind is kind of like a cliche maybe black writer Mm -hmm. and then there's that whole song where they're like you're a race traitor because you don't like beyonce Mm -hmm. or harriet tubman or tyler perry (laughs) which must be really difficult like i think you know how like when everyone was applauding love simon which was truly such I, a yeah i was gonna say that too thing <laughs> but it's just like oh it's about gay people and no one's fucking dying and it's just like a, it's like oh. a regular love story but it just happens to be about the gays and yeah yeah like he's just like i just want to like do something fucking simple and it's very hard which yeah. maybe that kind of comes back to being a white girl right yeah i think it does (laughs) i think it just clicked in my head like so much of this show is race related but i think i think maybe like what he's saying or part of what he's saying is like my complaints or commentary regarding racism and just you know kind of like under the radar racism with being a black guy trying to make it in musical theater seems so trivial and so airy day compared to fucking slavery yeah. that like just yeah like yeah I that's think, true like, in his in his mind it's two like very different things and he's just like people only want to hear about slavery which happened hundreds of years ago and they don't want to hear about like everyday problems that still exist which like might be something else just you know in the way that like everyone is like slavery is bad yet we don't recognize all of the ways that people are racist today Mm -hmm. and it in a way it's sort of like like people say like oh you know learn from history and all that but like it's almost like people are looking into history too far that they can't really see how it is still in effect today with like implicit bias and with these sort of like social constructs like they're just like oh well slavery doesn't exist anymore like well look at that we fixed it like there's no racism um and and yeah and so it's sort of like him bringing these topics up are people are like that's not a thing like we need to talk about slavery like that's the real problem and so so yeah like i can definitely understand his frustration and and I mean, a lot of the show is just so meta because technically the show he's writing is basically this show. 
And so it it is like, like when we first saw this show, I was like, I don't know if this show is for me, but it's also one of the shows where I don't think it matters that it's not for me. Like, unlike Girl from the North Country, which I had seen the day before, I was like, this show is not for me. And I just don't think it's a good show. I don't know who it's for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Apparently Ben Brantley, who gave it a critic's pick. also had good reviews on the West End. I I don't understand. I I, I don't either. I Um, told you it was bad. (laughs) I just needed to see for myself. an intimacy director but that sex scene was very uncomfortable (laughs) it was it was and it was more uncomfortable for me than like maybe slave play i agree i mean first of all if the man you're fucking is in a blue silk robe you should immediately be uncomfortable (laughs) well okay let's let's talk about this song a little because this song is a little bit wild first of all it's called inwood daddy and the the refrain of this song is Inwood Daddy sucking cock all Saturday morning, which is strange because oh, it also nice. seems like it takes place in the evening. Um, yeah, it, it the first lyric is, Usher, Jesus, it sure took you long enough. It's almost midnight. This man that he's fucking is married to a woman because he talks about his wife. There's a certain level of like him scraping the bottom of the barrel here which i think is like you know intended it's interesting because so yes this man is supposed to be white and he he like definitely like brings that up a lot there is a specific line where he says you like my white cock in your ass don't you and and i don't think it's like a specific preference he has because he never seems comfortable with white men i think part of it is almost based on like how his parents talk about it it seems like he's almost like not good enough for a black man so like definitely his parents are like a real black man would never date you and i didn't actually feel like that was totally part of it but it does make sense if it is um you know i think part of it is just like gay representation is typically between like two white guys and he even has that speech where he's like it's like so sexually liberating and sexy for two black men to be together but none of us realize that because all we see is these like white gay guys and i think the last part might be like he has all this self-loathing and there's like a weird interracial slave play-esque dynamic in this sex scene Mm -hmm. where like when he's having sex with a white guy he feels like lesser than him and he like enjoys the degradation kind of mm. and he calls in the n-word he's like he's like oh i bet you like this white cock in your ass don't you n-word take this white cock in your ass n-word the whole time it's like you're really kind of worried that like some crazy shit's gonna go down and i think actually what made me the most uncomfortable was it's unclear if usher wanted it to be that way like he doesn't say that much to this guy he says that like he's turning 26 it's implied that this guy is much older than him um and and i think while the sex is happening it it seems like and i i can't tell if usher still wants it at that point if it like i can't tell if it's like like technically in his mind his doctor has told him that he needs to be having more sex and so mm-hmm. it seems like this is a little bit of like a desperate sort of like i will take whatever i can get i just feel like i should be having more sex sort of moment but like once it starts happening that he likes it it's his fantasy mm-hmm. but like after an orgasm you're you start feeling guilty 
about wanting a white guy to call you the n-word yeah well that's what i couldn't tell like i could see the way where he does want it and i could also see the way where he thinks that what that's what he's supposed to want and then he regrets it once it starts happening because it's also sort of done in like shadowy lighting you can't see his face very well the lighting on his ass is just like it's very professional like (laughs) the whole time you're like he could be naked but i don't know yeah they did a good job with that part and like the song he sings after that is called boundaries and he's just like why did i do that like what was the point of that and and i actually thought this was the first time that i thought the show was ending um was with this song because he's like oh "Oh, i need some boundaries like i need to not just give in to what other people want like i need to like because he he talks about how all he wanted was to just like be a regular guy or like you know have a nice life and all of that but he can't figure out how to to make that happen and Mm -hmm. um and like the last few lines are list why do i do this bow down and people please i can't know freedom without clear boundaries till i draw boundaries i have no boundaries and and i think that's like also just a really nice sentiment if we go back to that whole like idea that the second act of his life is still like wide open like it's so wide open that he doesn't know what to do besides just stay in this rut he has. So like once he starts drawing boundaries and guidelines of what he does and doesn't want to do that can sort of make his path more clear. So that's why I thought like the show was going to end here, but it doesn't. Yeah. I mean like the second half of the show, which frankly is pretty much an act two, I think is largely him exploring where to set boundaries with his parents like Mm -hmm. his parents start showing up a lot but before we get into that because you know you mentioned earlier that like we know at this point that he doesn't have a lot of options for Mm -hmm. sex um exile in gayville is one of my favorite songs it's a great it's such a it's a banger it's so fun and like the the dialogue he has before where it's like usher enters the sexual marketplace and he's like i will sell this house and also i didn't realize this but liz fair who is his like number one inspiration um his character's number one inspiration had an album called exile and guyville and actually a lot of the lines in the song inner white girl come from her songs like when he says i want to be like tall luscious whatever that's like a line from one of her songs Yes, your heart, yes, your fat. But somewhere someone's into that. So don't be swindled by self-doubt. Just keep on sending it picks out. interesting how his mom and his dad have very different relationships with him um his mom is a lot like oh i love you so much there's no one that loves you more except for god and i love you like you're my favorite you're my baby boy like but homosexuality is bad you're just like you're gonna go to hell and i don't want that for you so you should just stop and his dad is just like hey bro i didn't realize like how bad his family life was or how poorly he viewed his family life as because like we hear about his parents and we see a scene here and there about his parents like earlier on in the show but he's like oh I'm worried that if I like talk to my parents about what I'm trying to do with my career they'll react the same way they first did when I came out to them and like that was just like, I don't know. It was like, okay, well, you told them and you guys still have a relationship and you're worried about a hard conversation. Like, that's kind of how I understood it. Mm. And then we actually see his parents and like, at least in 
some versions of his parents like his dad's a drunk and his dad is like you like men are you attracted to me i'm gonna keep asking you this until you give me an answer which is so incredibly unreasonable because it's like if he's straight does he want to fuck his mom like obviously not and they don't even like the fact that he's in the entertainment industry because they're like we spent tens of thousands of dollars on your schooling and you're probably tens of thousands of dollars in debt and like when are we going to see you be successful so that like we can stop worrying or Mm -hmm. like reap the rewards of raising you and paying so much money for you to study playwright and and then also they have this whole like i don't understand why you can't just write a Tyler Perry gospel play if it's going to pay off your student loan. But there's just like no understanding between Usher and his parents who and are literally no... like called Mufasa and whatever the fuck Simba's mom Sarabi. Called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus like the only other character that feels like very real and not crazy is another lady in the audience seeing Lion King. And I actually really liked her. She was like, fine, I am basic. I like Lion King and I like Wicked and it makes me happy. And I was like, good for you, you white lady. And she's like the nicest person to him this whole show. Yeah, pretty much. So I thought she was great. (laughs) Yeah, truly good for you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, back to your point about his parents. And it's like one of those things where he can talk to his mom but his mom doesn't even try to really understand what he's doing it's not like it's not like oh i know that you really want to write a show about your own experiences but maybe you should just like play the game a little and like get an in with the industry first and then they'll listen to more of your ideas it's they're just like i don't understand why you won't just write a tyler perry show like that worked for him why can't it work for you and it there's no sense of like empathy really coming from his parents and they're not they're very stuck in their own views about what he should be doing we want to know what's going on in new york we want to know if you've been chasing your dream because after what me and your dad went through to send your black booty to nyu so this gospel play like <laughs> we talked about it earlier and you know First of all, there's like his, his two like, gospel right plays it. in this show like there's like the show me how to pray and then the fever dream yeah <laughs> I, I honestly thought like that's just what show me how to pray more. And I don't know if it's again one of those like cast album differences or if it's the actual performance or if it was because I was expecting it. I feel like there was more differentiation between the characters on the album than in the theater. Yeah. Like I couldn't quite tell when he was changing some characters um on stage. Yeah. I think like their voicing is just like quite good across the entire show and you know like on stage it's it's very confusing when the thoughts are playing black people and white people and a third of his dad and it's just <laughs> yeah. so much to get your head around and on the on the cast album and like in the songs whether it's like using different voices or just you know with like the exposition and dialogue within the songs and the words that they're singing it's very clear who's who mm-hmm. um so yeah. yeah, like that's what I was like. Maybe this isn't a show. Maybe it's just um, <laughs> an album story, you know. Just yeah. And so <sighs> my other thing with like this gospel play and then the fever dream, I felt like both went on a little too long. And I don't know if it's also again because I don't have the like cultural context as much as other people might. But I also just didn't really find this scene very funny in the way that I think it was supposed to be funny. Like, you know, like a good spoof is 
you can tell what it's spoofing, but it's also funny in its own right. And while making commentary on the thing that it's spoofing. And I could definitely see how this was like kind of ridiculous and all that. And like how it would be accurate to a Tyler Perry show. But I just didn't find it that funny. I thought it went on for too long. He is saying like this is cheap comedy. It's bad writing. So like maybe we're not supposed to like it at all. But I mean the fever dream I definitely think went on for too long like i feel like i blacked out through it like i saw <laughs> i saw like a fucking glowing red cross with gigantic hiv letters next to it and i think i just like went to an alternate dimension i was just like all right i understand this scene see you guys in three minutes yeah so i think it's interesting to compare the two though because the um the first one writing a gospel play is right after his agent calls him and is like, you should do this like Tyler Perry ghostwriting thing. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I'll try it. And he just like, I guess, experiments with what that would look like. And that's what you see. Whereas this fever dream is after he has his whole encounter with Inwood Daddy, he decides to set some boundaries for himself. And both his parents call him again. And his mom is like, happy birthday. I love you. But also, you should really stop having gay sex. It's going to send you to hell. Like, whatever. And his dad is like, oh, hey, bro. Like, what's up? I'm not really calling for anything. But just wanted to say that some of your songs made it on the internet. And they are like, how could you do that to us? Because they're about being gay or whatever. And so then this song starts. Um, it's on the cast album at least it's listed as precious little dream slash aids is god's punishment and the precious little dream part is about how his mom had a precious little dream about him who he would marry a woman and settle down and she says stuff like you should have just been the daughter that we wanted and and i think this is truly like him like i don't think this is really his mom at all it's just him sort of spiraling down into this more of this like With self-hatred like spiteful stuff image of yeah mom. um because it's it, it this is also where that part about like a real black man wouldn't want you because you know you suck and you're terrible and all that and then and he just sort of snaps after all of this and he's just like you know what like here's the gospel play you wanted and it goes into this whole thing of like he had a cousin or something called who actually did die of AIDS or like at least in his mind he's like this guy died of AIDS and they're all at his funeral and everybody's just singing um, AIDS is God's punishment like yes let's all clap together which also like people in the audience started clapping along and I was like I don't know I don't think you're supposed to clap at this part <laughs> but, um, but it's yeah, yeah it's like a it's like a really like mean satirical song where it's like, okay, we're all here memorializing this person. Like we're at this funeral because we're supposed to like this person. And it's like half the people here, if not more, believe that AIDS is God's punishment. And you're basically saying that this person deserved to die. And there is literally like just like gospel choir singers in like white robes, just like prancing around singing AIDS is God's punishment. And like the song ends and he kind of looks at his mom and he's like, do you get my fucking point? And she's like, I totally get your point. You finally understand that AIDS is God's punishment. And he's just like, I need to leave. One of the thoughts is like, the audience just needs to know when they want to, when they can go home. Like, you got to wrap this up. You got to let them know. Like, they're not trying to sit here for the next 10 years, which is true because by this point, the show felt very long and the AIDS is God's punishment scene felt very long because they really just say AIDS is God's punishment over and over, over again and, and they go through like each section of the choir and they're like altos sing with me and like all of that I was like oh my god maybe the ending is in sight hey, 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 AIDS is God's punishment but all darkness, darkness, all darkness, all darkness, all darkness, all darkness comes to light. He's gonna knock them dicks up out your mouth and then, and this is what I like about him. He shall smite, cause he's 
also, it's a little strange that they don't have a song list in the program because yeah. it's not like, like, I feel like a lot of shows do that when they're new because the songs might be changing and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's not like the songs are changing because they do have a cast album. The songs are the same. And also when we saw it, it was after previews. So I was like, I don't know why. Th- Maybe they just wanted those like false endings. Or Which side note, for Girl from the North Country, they do one of those things where they you know just like list the songs but not the scenes but they do list the songs in order unlike mj and Mm -hmm. so i was just like i was looking at that song list so hard during that entire show and i was like how are we only four songs in out of like 12 it's like (laughs) we have to be at the halfway point it was (laughs) i totally have felt that way i actually really like the song called memory song um i actually think this is a I like the very, very end of the finale song, which is called A Strange Loop. But overall, as a song, I think I like this better. And I also thought this would end the show and then it didn't because we had A Strange Loop coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this was a really interesting song because he's like looking back on his actual memories where it's like, you know, the whole time we sort of talked about how he's a bit of an unreliable narrator. We don't know if any of his encounters with his parents or anyone else are actually true or just his own sort of spin on them or not. But I feel like these we can actually trust because he specifically says, these are my memories. These are and they're they're very like, I guess they're not like that specific, but they're very believable and real in that sense like he's like talking about going to church listening to the radio on the way back and the whole time he's um the refrain is for one lone black gay boy i knew who chose to turn his back on the lord and you know again this is is right after the whole aids are god's punishment song um Mm -hmm. and i thought that was like it was pretty sweet in that way and he does also mention that um he he actually uses a lot of religious imagery in general in this song um, because he he also mentions all the black gay boys I knew who chose to go on back to the Lord. It, it's again sort of a catharsis of like, I don't need to be part of this church that refuses to accept me. Mm-hmm. I think it also clears some stuff up because he talks about his parents in a couple different ways that kind of match up pretty well with the different characterizations of his parents that we've seen throughout the show. So I want to say they're all his parents, but at different stages in his life, like maybe his Mm -hmm. nicer dad is when he's like a seven-year-old and then the drunk dad that keeps asking if he's attracted to him is like after he told his parents that he's gay. Um, So like, yeah, I feel like maybe like it's not all totally in his head but he's just kind of like time skipping and reflecting on his own life without a clear timeline yeah yeah great ending song yeah <laughs> then he writes another song guilt and shame jesus name church every sunday these are my memories these are my memories eat his body drink his blood communion buffet these are my memories, it's our memories. After church, we're driving home to Radio Crackle. Jazz bills have Motown blues and skin is a shackle. The one lone black gay boy I knew who chose to turn his back on the Lord. One lone black gay boy I knew who chose to turn his back on the Lord. The essence of A Strange Loop, the song, is sort of like... So he talks earlier about this um, metaphysical idea that this guy named Douglas Hofstadter came up with that a strange loop is a cyclical nature that goes through several levels in a hierarchical situation where when you move like upwards or downwards, you sort of just end up back where you start. And as you sort of like navigate your consciousness of determining your own self like that strange loop kind of happens um which i actually just find kind of fascinating as a concept on its own as well so i'd like did a little research into it by which i mean i just clicked a bunch of wikipedia links and um i think the easiest sort of way to conceptualize the strange loop idea is like that one mc escher drawing where it's like that 
the never ending set of stairs where it looks like you're always going downstairs, but you just end up in a loop. Um, but I, I don't think I quite have the capacity to understand how that deals with his sense of self. Um, but I did sort of like taking a large step back from the show. I do think that the show sort of like, like it jumps around a lot and that was a little jarring to me at first because I was like, why are we doing Tyler Perry again? And, but I think it does sort of like narrow its focus a little as it goes on. Like it starts focusing more on him as a person rather than the external factors that sort of shape him in that way. And like, I I sort of understand the whole like, oh, the only problem I have is the pronoun I because he... You know, like we said, with boundaries and stuff, he didn't really know where to draw those boundaries. So he didn't really know like who he was as a person or what he wanted or anything like that. And so I think by now he has sort of figured that out through the process of the show and through like digging deeper into this loop, I guess, because as far as I understand it, this sort of like cognitive loop is he is sort of creating these interpretations of his parents, which may or may not be true, but by creating those interpretations that influences how he sees the world and how he sees the world also influences what those interpretations of his parents do again. And like, I mean the same for pretty much every other character in the show, but I think that's the loop that he's talking about and like how his own perceptions of things in turn influence him, which changes those perceptions. And so now it's sort of like, he needs to figure out who he is at his core without trying to influence himself. But he does say, like, basically everything's an illusion at the end. Sometimes I feel so ugly. Sometimes I feel so smart. Some people stand together. Me, well, I stand apart. Should I give up on hoping My point of view will shift And let this agony Just be my greatest gift But if that is the secret Does that make any sense? How can I change forever If I stay on the final thoughts on the show i i definitely like the show way more after giving a chance to like listen to it and to read through the lyrics and to actually like understand it but like that initial viewing of the show was not that helpful in terms of just like being able to see all the different things that he was trying to touch on because it just felt so much like okay and this is happening and this is happening so I, I think I might agree with you that this is a better show on paper or at least in audio than it was in the theater. It seems like a lot of people do really connect with the show and a lot of those people are minorities and I'm glad that's happening and it's not just another show about the depression and white people. It really doesn't feel like a Broadway show. I think if I saw this off Broadway, I would have been like, I expected this. This makes sense. <laughs> I I really appreciate it. I don't know if I like it. Like I think there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of commentary that I think is really worth thinking about, a lot of which I agree with. I did not have fun in this mm-hmm. show. Like which, you know, you sent me that article where the writer was like, I don't give a fuck if you enjoy this show, <laughs> which is fine. But also, like, you are creating entertainment. Right. So, like, I think enjoyability matters mm-hmm. a little bit. But, yeah, like, I think that brings me back to your point of, like, maybe it should have just been an album or just been a text or something like that. Like, it feels like a show that you should study. It doesn't feel like a show where you could just go and 
have fun for two hours. So, all right. That is pretty much it for a strange loop. Um, as we mentioned <laughs> last episode. A lot of information <laughs> that we shoved into oh, this yeah. hour. <laughs> as we mentioned last episode, we will be in London. Might have a recap on that. I think we will. We have so many cool shows that we're going to be watching. Yeah, that's true. But to keep up with us, you can follow this podcast on whatever podcast platform you are listening to now or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, any of your regular podcast players. Or you can also follow us on social media at Bottomless Beeway on Instagram or Twitter and bottomlessbeeway at gmail.com. And otherwise, we'll definitely be back for another episode. So stay tuned. I should stop overthinking and do the thing that's tough. Unleash my hungry lion. Cause Dorothy's had enough of toxic Tyler Perry in white gay male tyranny. In my secret inner white girl, though she is dear to me. But with the Someone whose self-perception is based upon a lie. Someone whose only problem is with the pronoun I. Maybe I don't need changing. Maybe I should regroup. Cause change is just an illusion. Just an illusion. Just an illusion. And I is just an illusion. Just an illusion. Just an illusion. It's just an illusion. Just an illusion. Just an illusion. Then what a strange, 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 strange. Lose.